and about the gift of financial freedom. We've been looking, you're laughing, I'm serious about financial freedom. This is the fourth foundation of Messianic Jewish worship. We've been talking uh, uh, on the basis of Ezra chapter 3, where we see uh, Ezra and uh, the children of Israel, about 5,000 of them, only just under 5,000, coming up to Jerusalem at the uh, and reestablish the temple. The first temple had been destroyed, and they're going to establish the second one. And in Ezra chapter 3, we found a number of principles that are very good for us to renew worship here. And that's the basis of what in Ezra 3. Uh, first, we learn about the Mizbeach, the altar, and therefore the priority of worship. We read... When the seventh month arrived after the people of Israel had resettled in the towns, the people gathered with one accord in Jerusalem. Then Yeshua, uh, not Yeshua the Messiah, but Yeshua the son of Yotzadak, with his fellow Kohanim and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his kinsmen, organized rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel so that they could offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the Torah of Moshe, the man of God. They were surrounded by enemies, and they had, there were only five of them, and they, were, they had come from, maybe it took them four months or so to travel from Persia there. They didn't come as an army. They came as civilians. They're very much endangered, but they know that if they're endangered, the first thing they need to do is reestablish the worship of God because he is the ultimate protector, and that's what they did. So for us, too, at our synagogue, the priority here is not having a good egg. It's not even music, which I believe in, because it's part of the worship. But underneath all of that is that we should all be coming here on Shabbat in order to give to God the glory due his name, because he is the one who gives us life and breath and everything. So that was the first foundation, the Mizbeach. The second foundation is what we call the Mechonah, the base. Uh, we continue to read in Ezra chapter 3, it says, and they set up the altar on its former bases. Despite feeling threatened by the peoples of the surrounding countries, they offered on a burnt offerings to Adonai, morning and evening and burnt offerings. On the former bases, and the point that we've been emphasizing here is that to have good worship at Avatzion, it doesn't mean having some new gimmick. It doesn't mean galloping off into some unforeseen Holy Ghost feature with four-color bro- four brochures. It must be connected to the former bases. They're establishing the altar there that had been destroyed uh, in 587. This is now uh, some 50 years later. Care, they were going to establish the altar on the base of the altar that had previously existed. Similarly, our worship at Avatzion, I'm happy to say for 45 years, has been established on a Jewish base, and it should be. Cause us to return, O God, and we shall return. Renew our days as of old. Chadesh Yemenu Kekedem. Renew us now the way you did in the past. We must reconnect with the past in order to move off into the future. The third foundation we looked at last week. It's the Moadim, the holy occasions, the times and seasons. Verse 4 of Ezra 3. They observed the festival of Sukkot, as is written, offering daily the burnt, a number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day, month and also for the designated time set apart for Adonai. That is 
the Moadim, as well as those of everyone, the sacrifices of everyone who volunteered uh, uh, voluntary offerings to God. That was our, our third foundation, that we should be a congregation that honors the holy occasions, not because it's a Jewish thing to do, although that's not bad, not because, but because these are things that God enjoined as times for us to say thank you to him for the things he's done for our people down through history. It's, uh, it's important for us not to succumb to our human capacity for ingratitude. And for that reason, we must remember these occasions, just as uh, Michael Cabot contacted me yesterday, he said, tomorrow's a yurtzeit for my father. Can I read the Haftorah today? Now, that's the way it should be. Of course not. So Michael wanted to honor the memory of his father. And we should honor the memories of the things that God has done for us. And regardless of people say, oh, you do all these Jewish things, regardless of the immature and dismissive attitudes that people have, uh, uh, don't let that bother you. We should be people of gratitude and a people who honor God for the great things he has done. For this, I will ask for amen. Fourth of these foundations. Read, they also gave money for the stone workers and the carpenters, as well as food, drink, and olive oil for the people of Sidon and Tyre, that's Sidon and Sor, who are bringing cedar logs from Lebanon on the sea to Jaffa. In accordance with the authorization granted, I mentioned to you before, whenever the of Israel, when they built the tabernacle, appeared, bringing their their jewelry, their, their gold, their jewelry, whatever um, luxury items they had, even a cloth and, and, uh, for the building of, of the tabernacle. There was nothing too much for them to do. And in the building of the first temple also, uh, huge contributions. Until finally the priests had to say, hey, enough. <laughs> you know, we got nowhere to put it. The second temple, again, we see that the spiritual health of the community is demonstrated in the fact that they're giving. They're giving because they, they want to see this happen. And th- so that brings us to a talk about giving. So let's keep going. Uh, I want to say that in the 20 years I was in Alvazion, I think I talked about giving twice in 20 years. People, rabbis, uh, I don't know about other rabbis, but we tend to hate to do this. Speak about giving maybe twice, maybe once in 20 years is not picking anybody's pocket. Talks about giving usually create the following. Anxiety, where people say, oh, oh, I feel so guilty. Guilt, resentment. Why is he talking about this? I didn't come here to, for this guy to talk to me about my, my bank account. Feeling trapped or manipulated. Gee, I came here to worship God, and here's this. Or feeling one down, feeling less than, feeling, feeling depressed because I don't have much to give. That's what usually greets, talks about giving. But this is not what's going to happen today. <laughs> so I want you to know, just put all of that back where you got it and don't take it out again, because that's not what you're going to do, you're not going to do today. Instead, we're going to examine seven principles of joyful financial freedom. These come mainly from four sources, from Jewish practice. Now, I, I have a handout that I, didn't, I meant to bring and I didn't bring, if we get our standards of giving from first Jewish practice, including the Tanakh, 
Yeshua's teachings, and then two places chiefly in the Brit Hadashah, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4, and 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So we're going to quickly look at these passages, and then we're going to derive seven principles of financial freedom. This is a very important talk. I told God this morning, and I said, God, I just give this to you. I prepared, I've prepared this. I said, but the impact of it, I said, Father, it's yours. Do with it what you will. I believe that any, uh, any congregation where everyone is doing what they can will never have any financial difficulty. That's all. Little. Everyone doing what they can, that congregation will never have financial difficulty, never have arguments in business meetings about not having enough money for this or the other thing. And I believe that's a good thing. Because uh, I, I want to tell you something that's not in my notes here. The Apostle Paul never took money from the people that he ministered to. When he went to Philippi and he... Uh, he ministered there, or Colossae, or Corinth, or Rome. Well, he never took money for what he did. What he expect is that after he left, they would contribute so that he could help other people. He expected that, and he wrote about it. And if you visit my uh, website, interfaithfulness.org, and you look under donations or whatever, you'll see I, I talk about that. I, I call it the, the name I give it. He, he said... Uh, I give you what I give you freely. But if you are grateful for what you receive, you will give so that other people can receive it freely. That's the way he did it. He expected of them, and he went best. But what we're talking about today is not telling you people, you know, we're giving you a service, so pay up. No. It's saying, be grateful so that other people can also quid pro quo. Do we understand each other? Good. So, the four sources of a perspective. First, let's look a little bit of Jewish practice. Thank you. Thank you very much. He's doing a great job back there. People who receive the tithes are not in place. The priests and Levites are not in the temple to receive the tithes. So you don't have tithing in general in the Jewish community except for tzedakah. 10% of what a Jew has does not belong to him. It belongs to the poor. Jewish giving is the... Is the most lavish and generous giving of any people group in the world. And, the, and we give to the needy and to the poor because 10% of what we have is given to us in trust from God for them. So for us to give it to them is to rob them. Our is really justice. It is just for us to give it to them. So now let's look at Yeshua's teaching. Here's one passage, chapter 6. Give, and you will receive gifts. The full measure, compacted, shaken together, and overflowing, will be put right in your lap. For the measure with which you measure out will be, the me- uh, will be used to measure back to you. Yeshua says, be generous. Gives generosity. Gener- you know, how many of you a generous person? Ever know somebody who's really generous? Does that person seem gifted, or does a person seem free and joyous? Uh, generosity, I mean, it's, it's so health-giving and so freedom. I am talking about financial freedom. I don't have a moment's time for financial bondage guilt. I'm talking about freedom. Generosity, now generosity is, 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 is comparative. The poor widow who put two little mites, uh, 
you know, less than a penny into the offering box, and he said she gave more than, the, than all the rich people did. She was generous. Gener- generosity is relative. It's not, don't compare what you give to what anybody else gives, and don't let them dare to compare what they give with what you give. It is none of their business. But within the capacity of what you have, all of us can be generous. Uh, within not spending your time grabbing everything in your tight little fist, all of a sudden you're free. That's freedom. So Yeshua says, be free, give, you'll receive gifts. You've got a generous God, be a generous people, and we'll see how it works out. So let's go on. This is more of Yeshua's teachings. To remind us, he, this is after he tells the parable about the man who's got a lot of wealth and he builds houses. And he says, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build more stories because, you know, you've laid up yourself a lot of great things. And Yeshua says, you fool. Tonight, your soul is going to be required of you. And who's going to have all the stuff that you've st- saved up? And then he says, so it is with everyone who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is not the person who has a lot of goods. It's the person whose goods have him. Do you know anybody who is so terrified anybody? That's what he's talking about. Do not be controlled by your stuff. You should be controlled by your relationship with God. And you're a fool. You spend your life being a custodian of your stuff. So, after that parable, right after it, Yeshua says this about your life, what you will eat, what you drink, about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, the body is more than clothing. Think about the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have neither storerooms nor barns. Yet God feeds them. You're worth much more than these birds. He's not saying, do not be concerned about paying your rent, about putting food on the table, and about having clothes to wear. He's not saying, don't be concerned. He's saying, don't be preoccupied. It's a big difference. We're supposed to be responsible. But when we become preoccupied and obsessed Is that freedom? Not where I come from. Keep going. Can any of you, by worrying, add an hour to your life? If you can't do a little thing like that, why worry about the rest? Think about wild irises, how they grow. They neither work nor spin. Instead, I tell you, not even even Shlomo in all of his glory was clothed as beautifully as one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and thrown into the oven tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? What little trust you have? Again, he's saying, stop worrying, stop obsessing. And he keeps going. In other words, don't strive after what you will eat and what you will drink. Don't be anxious. That's the key. Don't be controlled by your anxiety. Believe me. I started seeing a shrink about 30 years ago. He saw me for over 20 years gratis uh, because he wanted to marvel at how well-adjusted I was. <laughs> and he said, do you know what the chief uh, characteristic of you when you came to see me was? He said, dread. That's what characterized me most, dread, a pervasive sense of dread. Does Yeshua want us to live in a pervasive sense of dread? Does he want us to live our lives in anxiety? <laughs> and what we're talking about today is health and joyous freedom. 
not anxiety. He says, all the pagan nations set their hearts on these things, and all these things will be given you as well. Have no fear, little flock, for the Father has resolved to give you the kingdom. I love it. I love another translation. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the riches of the life of the age to come leading through into this age. It's his pleasure to give you the good stuff. So why are you spending your life uh, worrying like you're all alone in the world and if you don't look out for number one, nobody's looking out for you. He says, are you king? Where you really are preoccupied, the stuff that you really worry about is what your whole life is going to be about. And your life should not be about your stuff. So, going on. What Yeshua has made your point. Don't be all anxious and preoccupied with your stuff. More than you realize, God's got this. Yeshua wants us to walk in joyful financial freedom. So, I want to go on and take a a little bit in, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, tell churches to bring back to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem congregation was going through great poverty and famine, and in order to demonstrate the fact that the Gentile churches felt a solidarity with the home congregation in Jerusalem, Paul spent years collecting an offering, which he brought up to Jerusalem, both to help the Jerusalem believers and also to demonstrate the solidarity of the Gentile congregations in the diaspora. And he writes about this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which I suggest you read. That relief for others should cause trouble for you. In other words, don't give so that you become the needy person in the congregation. Don't give yourself into trouble, he's saying. It's not that relief for others should cause trouble for you, but that there should be a kind of reciprocity. At present, your abundance can help those in need. If you're doing well right now, then share what you have. Because there'll come a time when you're not doing so well, and others will share what they have with you. That's the premise. The premise is that a policy, a procedure, don't make it a matter of whim, a matter of impulse. Every week on Motzei Shabbat, that means right after Shabbat, after Havdalah, each of the money aside, according to resources. That's what he suggests they do. They're collecting money for this offering. He's going to be coming to Corinth and picking it up. Eventually, he says, uh, uh, let it accumulate. Make it a matter of policy. Every week after Shabbat, set some money aside. According to your resources, according to what you can afford. Then he goes on. He says, here's the point. He who plants sparingly also harvests sparingly. Each should give according to what he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do God has the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives to all men and women life and breath and everything. Don't give them a handout. You know, they used to, now, now i got to talk about a pet peeve of mine. The Savior is waiting to open the door. Oh, won't you let him come in? Coming again to see if he's to open the door. Oh, won't you let him come in? That's a terrible song. He's like, a, he's like standing with his hat in his hand on your doorstep. 
you know, uh, uh, looking for a handout. Do not help him out. He doesn't. The 11th commandment is, do with me no favors. <laughs> Moreover, God has the power to provide you with every gracious gift in abundance so that always in every way you have all you need yourselves. You'll be abundantly God is going to outgive you. God is going to continue giving to you. He's got everything he needs. But if you're going to give, then give generously, give, give, give uh, cheerfully, not grudgingly or under compulsion. So if any of you go out of this sermon today feeling guilty about your giving, I have failed you. This is not about guilt. This is about freedom. Let's go on and look at our seven principles then. And these are, these are, you know, it's, it's not like we go, you come to congregations and you come to services every week and then wait one week you say, you know, I think maybe I ought to give something. So you put a couple of bucks in the offering box and then you go back to business as usual and you give when you feel like it. Nah, that's not the way it is. If you pay your rent when you feel like it or if I pay my car, I feel like it. I feel like it. But give as a matter of policy. Establish a policy. Paul, Paul told him, you know, after Motzei Shabbat, every week, set some money aside according to your resources. Set a policy. Have a procedure. Number two, proportional giving. R.G. Genius, who uh, was the, uh, he developed huge earth-moving equipment. Huge, I mean, mega huge. And he, he had this engineering mind, and he only, he didn't drop out of high school, but he was a company. It's huge, huge uh, uh, machinery with uh, machinery with wheels that were higher than the ceiling of this room. And he became very, very, very wealthy and gave 90% of his money away. He lived on time. The 90%. He was so fabulously wealthy, he could afford to give 90% away. And he said, I hope the congregation will give it back to you. What you can afford. You understand? Yes. Nobody's here to pick your pocket. Nobody's here to tell you what you It's not our business what you give, but it is our business that you give. Because if you reinforce yourself, you're reinforcing yourself an image of either being a victim or feeling like one down and, 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 and incapable. You're not incapable. Every single person in this room right now is capable of giving something. And you give out of self, continue to treat yourself like you're an exception. Then you say, you know, I'm not like other people. They can give, but I can't because I'm a poor, pathetic individual. If you think but additional giving. Some of you can only afford to give two bucks today. Give two bucks. Some of you can afford to, you know, I had one woman in the congregation years ago. She sold her home. That was a, apparently of the sale of her house. Man, that blew me away. What to do with it? She was a great woman. She doesn't live in the United States now, and I, I still stay in some intermittent manner. But what you could afford is the Lord has prospered you. And if, if times are tough, God does not expect you to make your times tougher. You understand? All right. By policy, not whim, proportional giving, give until it feels good. Some would say, give until it hurts. I don't believe that. I'm not here you. 
Give until it feels good. Give so that when you walk out of the congregation on a Shabbat, you say, you know, I can't give a lot, but I gave what I could, and I feel, pretty, I feel good about myself. I, I have self-respect. I did what I could. That's all. Give until it feels good. This is financial freedom in every respect, but in this respect too. Give until it feels good. Remember the three R's. We give relationally. We're supposed to be family. Don't give as though you're, as though you're members of a club. This is a club. Family. Amen. Don't give like dues. I have respect for clubs, but this is not a club. This is a family. So we give relationally because we care about what happens here. We care that other people will get the benefit of what happens here. And we know that other people will care about us here. We give relationally. We give responsibly. And we give reciprocally. We give what we can, when we can, so that other people will give what they can, when they can. Number five, give sacrificially. What do I mean by that? I mean that uh, the Bible presents worship of God. This costs, this expensive stuff. And they were giving uh, their best breeding stock, Spotless lambs, not the sick animals, the healthy animals, the first fruits of your flock, the first breeding stock give. So, but it was sacrificial giving. There's a story about King David. He was very foolish. He took a census of the people of Israel late in his life. He shouldn't have done it. Why was it stupid? Because it was a way of being proud of the size of his kingdom. And he should remember don't be proud of your kingdom. It's God who gave it to you. It's not your accomplishment. But he did that. Plague that God sets loose upon Israel as a, con- as a consequence. And finally, God's wrath is, is stopped, and, and uh, David is near fishing for the menuna. And he's told by God to offer an offering there in order to stop the plague. So he wants to build an altar there, and Aruna says, Your Majesty, it's all yours. Take everything. Uh, the land is yours. The, the animals are yours. You're the king. Take it. And David says, no, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. He's the king. I love David. I love David. He's a great leader. And he says, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. So I'll just say this. If your relationship with God costs you nothing, we pay what we value and for our life with God should involve elements. So we give sacrificially. Do not think that it's, everything is free. Everything is not free. Nothing is free. Salvation. Why? It costs Yeshua his life. Nothing is free. So we give sacrificially. Finally, we give joyfully, not out of guilt or constraint. That's good about our giving. We can feel like we, if you can't do much, that's cool. Walk out of here with self-respect. Feel so good about yourself. Feeling good about God. Load. We can be joyful, never ashamed, never guilt-ridden, and never feeling one down to anyone else. And now I want to talk to you about a birthday, an important birthday. Monday. Please go next one. Monday, the birthday of this man, John Wesley. This man is one of the most productive men. Whoever lived. He's a personal hero of mine. 
he uh, grew up in a poor family. His mother was in the 18th century, 17th century. She, Susanna Wesley, they had, she had 14 children, thrown off to debtors. The father was a, a, uh, an Anglican minister and a very rigid man. One time, his father went on a speaking tour, and his mother, Wesley's mother, was this wonderful woman. And she began you know, teaching little Bible studies. And pretty soon, 200 people were showing up. <laughs> 200 people were showing up at her kitchen because they wanted to eavesdrop on these devotions she was having with her kids. And when her husband came back, he was furious because she's only a woman. And she's not supposed to do that. And she said, okay, I'll tell you what. I will stop teaching the children if you will take responsibility for it, for which you will have to answer to, to, to Yeshua, to Jesus Christ, when he comes to judge the living and the dead. So I'll stop, but you take the responsibility. She was something else. So was this guy. He, um, uh, when he was in his 30s, he had a, uh, a renewal of his faith. And he ended up spending 55 years uh, 10 times on horse. He also wrote 200 volumes in dictionary, lexicons, and preached times outside. He won thousands and thousands of people in Yeshua faith and established societies, which were called Methodist societies, because he had a method. And they, in, in, in Oxford, where he went to school, they despised him because of his methods. But he was a great man, and it is said that he saved England from a revolution because he, his teaching was so healthy that it created social justice where classism and injustice was ingrained. I want to read you something about him. He said, one of the things he said in one of his sermons about giving, he said, get all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So I'm going to do... Huh? Get, get all you can, all you can. Now he meant, when he said get all you can, he meant earn all you can. Save all you can, he meant um, conserve as much of that rather than spend it. Now listen to his life. I'm going to finish with this in just a moment. In 1731, which would be when he was 27 years old, that's 1731, yeah, 28. In 1731, he began to limit his expense to have more money to give to the poor. In the first year, his income was, 20, was 30 pounds, but he could live on 28. So he gave away two pounds the first year. In the second year, his income doubled, but he held his expenses even. In other words, he restricted himself to spending only 28 pounds, which was just enough to live on. So he had 32 pounds to give away instead of two. That was a comfortable year's income. He gave away what amounted to a, a comfortable year's income. That's the second. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds, and he gave away 62 pounds. So I think pounds. His income was 90 pounds. He gave the rest of his advanced as high as 1,400 pounds a year, and that was from selling his books and his sermons on paper uh, uh, everywhere he went. 1,400 pounds a year, which was, he was a millionaire. 
but he rarely let his expenses arrive, rise above 30 pounds. He said he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at, at one time. This so baffled the English tax collectors that they, uh, they assumed that he had a lot of silver plate or something. Two silver spoons in Oxford and two silver spoons in Bristol. That's about all I've got. And it is about all he got. When he died, he had a few coins, a silver spoon, and a... He says... Uh, he wrote... Let's see. When he died in 1791 at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins to be found in his pockets and on his pounds he had earned in his life had been given away. He wrote this, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me. So there's going to be books left behind. But in every other respect, my own hands will be at my executors. In other words, before I die, I'm giving everything else away. And he did. Now, he was an extraordinarily free man. He was a great genius. He was the most productive man, one of the most productive people who ever lived. I just want to leave you with his example. It's his birthday on Monday. Financial freedom. He was not a man who was a prisoner of his stuff. He made millions of dollars. He gave it all away. I'm not telling you to do that. But I'm telling you, don't be a prisoner of your stuff. Let's all remember to be servants of God and of each other in Yeshua Nash.